Uh, this is Skip Lockwood, and you're listening to Mets Musing. I was a pitcher, a relief pitcher, a closer with the New York Mets. I have a new book out called Inside Pitch, Mets Musing. Thank you very much. This, this is, is Len and Jeff from Baseball and, and Barbecue. Barbecue. And the one place to go for New York Mets news, past week game reviews, upcoming series previews, interviews, analysis, opinion, and, and what's, what's going, going down, down on the farm. farm. It's, it's Mets Musings with Gary Mack. So keep the faith, stay optimistic, and let's go Mets. Mets Musings with, with Gary Mack. Now it's time for some New York Mets baseball talk. Here's Gary Mack bringing you the latest news and analysis from Mets Nation and the world of baseball on another edition of Mets Musings. And hello and welcome to another edition of Mets Musings, episode number 335. Hope everybody had a great week out there. Well, the Mets week at least as far as the show goes, started off okay. They split with the Pirates, played some good ball, and then they went to Washington and got annihilated. The worst loss in the history of the Mets, 25-4. to Totally, totally awful. Mats was terrible. Uh, the bullpen was awful. Everything was bad. You name it. Everything went south for that team that night. So, uh, really disappointment. But, you know, games happen like that. And then you shake it off, you come back the next day. Well, the next day they thought they had a chance because Tommy Malone, yes, that Tommy Malone, the former Met, was pitching against them for the Nationals and he dominated them. And, of course, the defense, which has been terrible all year, continued to kill them uh, in that game. Uh, I think Jose Reyes made an error, uh, Wilma Flores made an error, and they dropped the game 5-3. to three. Um, I mean, the defense, they got to work on this defense. It is just horrible. In fact, Ahmed Rosario and, and uh, Estrubal Cabrera, when he was here, have combined to be the worst defensive middle infield in the league. And we know that Cabrero is slow because of his, uh, you know, he had a limited, a limited range because of his age. But, boy, Rosario's really struggled at short. So now Cabrera's gone. He's with the Phillies. Jeff McNeil's going to be at second base. We'll see... Uh, We'll see what uh, happens there because it's not fair to judge yet. It's only a very small sample. So we don't know about uh, how he's going to work out. And it doesn't look like he's got a lot of range either. But whatever he gets to, he gets. So, um, But the Mets keep talking about improving the defense. And hopefully this this year, this offseason, they'll begin going after guys that plays some defense. You know, uh, apparently last year, according to Scrappy Sandy, he wanted to go get defensive players, but before that, he couldn't care less about defensive players. And we can see it. We can see how it affects the team. And I don't care what the analytics say and say defense doesn't matter that much either. That's a load of crap. 
If you can't catch the ball, then you better be scoring 52 runs a game or something. And this offense can't do either. They don't score, and they don't play defense. So it's just it's exasperating is what it is. Of course, the uh, the Mets in keeping of the transition of or the tradition, I should say, of getting players off the scrap heap signed Austin John Jackson to join the club. Jackson is 32. He's not been good this season. And we thought they were going to, you know, play young guys to get to, to see what they have for the future. Well, as it turns out, Jackson's off to a pretty good start, hitting 333 with a homer and two two RBI in a brief four-game tenure with the Mets. Um, maybe uh, he'll stick around there next year if he can continue hitting like this. I mean, when you look at next year's team, it will feature three left-handed hitting outfielders, and the team is going to need a credible major leaguer to serve as a fifth outfielder. Now, Jackson was pretty good in Cleveland last year. He had a good year. Got off to a bad year, had a bad year this year, so maybe he's turning around. And if he has a good second half, maybe they take a chance to keep him around next year. Don't forget, Ligaris hopefully will be back, but he can't stay healthy. <clears throat> so you can't really count on him for anything. And you're going to have, uh, forget Cespedes. So you can have Conforto, Nimmo, and hopefully Bruce. And then where do you go for that from there? I don't think you're going to bring back Batista. So uh, maybe Austin Jackson, if he can prove something, can hang with this club next year. Now, I mentioned earlier how the Mets were... Uh, Hammered on uh, the uh, game um, Tuesday night, uh, and uh, Stephen Matz complained of some uh, discomfort in his forearm, and he had an MRI, and it revealed no structural damage, and that was reported by SNY's Andy Martino. Matz allowed seven runs in two-thirds of an inning on Tuesday, he said after the game, he had been going through a dead-arm period during his last three starts. 27-year-old Matz had surgery on his pitching elbow last August, which was the same surgery Jacob deGrom underwent after the 2016 season. During the surgery, Matz's ulnar nerve was moved in order to relieve discomfort. He had been pitching through significant pain at times during the 2017 season. Matz also has had Tommy John surgery in his past, having gone undergone a procedure in May of 2010. Before his ERA spiked from 3.79 to 4.35 during Tuesday night shellacking, Matz had been putting together the most complete season of his career. He had pitched 107.2 innings so far in 2018. And there's a good chance that he's going to miss uh, his next start. But we'll wait and see uh, all about that. Uh, but uh, 
right now. Uh, they haven't made an announcement uh, otherwise, but uh, that's the word that he'll probably miss his next start. And the Mets announced a flurry of personnel moves today with infielder Philip Evans being placed on a 10-day disabled list, right-hander Jacob Rame being optioned to AAA, third baseman Todd Frazier activated off the DL, and a contract of righty Bobby Wall getting purchased from the Las Vegas 51s. Evans left the game on Wednesday against the Washington Nationals early with an injury and has now been diagnosed with a non-displaced tibia fracture, according to Anthony DeComo, MLB.com. Evans is 3-for-21 in limited big league action this year. Rame, 25, has pitched to an 8 ERA in 18 big league innings for the Mets this year with six home runs allowed in that time span. The veteran Frazier returns to the Mets lineup after being placed on the DL last month with a left rib cage muscle strain. He went 3-for-12 with a homer in four rehab games. While uh, WAHL, while Bobby Wild quiet in the recent trade with the Oakland A's for Jury's Familia, has been added to the Mets' 40-man roster, and he will wear number 61. The 26-year-old has dominated the Pacific Coast League this year with a 2.20 ERA, a 0.87 whip, and a .133 opponent's average, and 73 strikeouts in 45 innings between Nashville and Las Vegas. So he's pitched well, this guy, Bobby Wall. So we'll see what happens when he gets up here, uh, whether he continues that or whether he flops like uh, a lot of these other guys that they've been bringing up. But let's hope uh, something, uh, some success comes uh, out of that trade for uh, Jury's Familia. All right, let's take a quick break here. We'll have some news on uh, Ioannis Cespedes, trying to find some up-to-date stuff, but uh, they're not saying a lot. So, and then we'll go down on the farm and check out some stuff there. Uh, but first, uh, listen to these messages. Looking for great Cardinals talk? Then check out Conversations with C70. My name is Daniel Shoftaw, and I talk with some of the great bloggers on the internet today about their teams. But it always goes back to the Cardinals. Find the latest episode on my website, www.cardinal70.com or at baseballpodcast.net. Did you know that Baseball PhD can be heard on BaseballTalkRadio.com? Our shows rotate with other top baseball podcasts. Now don't forget, that's BaseballTalkRadio.com. <laughs> 516-619-6341. That is the comment voicemail hotline if you'd like to be a part of the show. And drop us a line, leave us a comment or a voicemail, question, anything at all. Call that number, 516-619-6341. Or go to MetsMusings.com and click on that widget in the middle of the screen, and that's a speak pipe, and you can leave a voicemail right through your computer through your computer's microphone. Or if you prefer to do things the old-fashioned way, send us an email at MetsMusings at gmail.com. The Facebook page is facebook.com slash groups 
slash Mets Musings, and the Twitter handle is at Mets Musings 1. Baseball and BBQ, your place for interesting baseball talk, opinions, and history. Baseball and BBQ, your place for barbecue recipes, tips, and interviews from the world of barbecue. If you like baseball and if you like barbecue, then tune in to Baseball and BBQ. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and BaseballTalkRadio.com, along with Mets Musings and other great baseball podcasts. With all the Mets news, it is the news from around the world and around the corner. Here's Gary Mack. Well, thank you, and we're back, and uh, let's talk a little bit about Jonas Cespedes. He was uh, due to have surgery on his right heel today, and uh, then in a uh, two or three months, roughly, he's going to have surgery on his left heel. With his 2018 season over, his 2019 season may be impacted as well with the expected recovery window at least 8 to 10 months. And it could be longer than that, according to John Rico, the general manager of the uh, or the acting assistant GM, the acting one of the, uh, I don't even know what to call it, one of the three-headed stooges, I guess, that are running the Mets now. Uh, he said it won't be shorter than that, so eight to ten months. Now let, let's consider this because the, you don't count from today. You count from two or three months from now, whenever he has the second surgery, because that one's got to be healed. So we're looking. We're in August, uh, September, October. It could be October, November. He has. Surgery on his left heel, and then that's another eight. To, that's eight to ten months from there. So, even on the optimistic side of eight months, you're looking roughly July of next season. And if you go ten months out, it, it could be September, and by that time, it's really not going to matter. Unless they're in a pennant race. <laughs> uh, but so I, I think you essentially you write them off for the 2019 season as well. Why they waited so long. If they knew this, why didn't they do this in April or January of last year? Lost this season. Come back next year. Now he loses practically two seasons. And I think this is what people complain about. Now, it's not always the team. Let's keep that in mind. Sometimes, and a lot of times, it's the player. The player wants to play, doesn't get it, doesn't, doesn't want to come out of the lineup and doesn't want to you know, have a season ending surgery. But sometimes the team has got to step up and say, you got to do this and do it now. Because had he had this surgery in February or March, he'd be ready to go by next spring training. Now, by doing this in the middle of it, he's already lost so much time this year. 
and going to lose possibly the whole season next year. So bad decision-making all the way around. All the way around. And they claim they knew about this when they traded for him. And yet they signed him to a large contract also knowing this. So what they should have done when he started getting hurt last year should have figured this out. And have him get this surgery. But no, they waited. And they waited. And now it came to this year. And he played. And he got hurt. Hamstring. Flexor. Whatever. And now they say it's all because of the bone spurs. So now they're going to operate. And now he's going to lose... This year. And then two or three months after, after, keep that in mind, after the second heel is done, that's when you start the clock on the eight to ten months. Now, on, on the good side, I guess if you'd have met... They have an insurance policy on his contract. And it is reported that they will likely recover half of the money owed to Cespedes during the time he's out, similar to the insurance policy they have for David Wright. So I guess the big question is, who's going to come back first, David Wright or UNS Cespedes? Apparently, David Wright is doing baseball activities now. But we're running out of the season. I'm telling you, you, you have to. And I, and I get it. I, I get it. And I agree. He, he's meant so much to this franchise. You give him every opportunity. But I think it, there comes a time when somebody's got to. He's got to, as I said before, he's got to have one more at bat in him. And you get him and activate him for the last game of the season. And you advertise it as his final game. And you let him pinch hit in the eighth inning. And he goes out to a standing ovation. Hell, make it make it David Wright night, you know? Put him right in the Hall of Fame, the Mets Hall of Fame. If you want, retire his number right away. Why wait? Just do it all. Get the big crowd there. But knowing the Wilpons, they'll want to do it separately so they can get a crowd for each one. And have him take that last at bat. And if you don't get rid of Jose Reyes by then, you can do the same thing with him. Now, there was a rumor going around that they were making a video tribute they were putting together for Jose Reyes, so there was a feeling that they could be cutting him. But we're in August now. Now, does it matter? I mean, at this point, 
You might as well just let him go. Let him play the rest of the season. And see if you can get him and Wright to retire together. Very apropos. They came in, uh, Jose Reyes got here first, then Wright came the next year. And they were the team, the, the guys they were going to build around. And so let them uh, let them go out together. Just get a kick out of that sound effect. All right, let's take a look at Down on the Farm. Well, Keith Law, who does the, uh, he's the minor league guru for ESPN. He was getting interviewed. He talked about the Mets system, and he said the system after last season did not look great due to injuries and poor performances. Most notably, they had injuries to Thomas Pucky and Anthony Kay. Uh, and a poor season from Justin Dunn last year. So um, he had said that, you know, the system had some talent, but it had to show it this year. And so far, the farm system looks much better. In the interview, Law said, small sample so far, but I'm thrilled to see him, Vientos, Showing some power too. A solid defender. He was drafted this year. Solid defender at third, trending up. Very promising. I've said before, but I think some of the results bear it out. Their drafts are not the problem, and recently they have been quite good. Dunn has broken out. Peterson had a little dead on deal, but has been very good most of the season. That's David Peterson. Vientos looks great. Kellenic, uh Keith Lohr is way in on him. Alonzo is something, and from the international side, Ronnie Mauricio is getting a lot of buzz as a potential star. I know that there's uh, a lot of uh, Mets fans angry uh, because of the ownership situation, but the outlook from their farm system is not bleak and they do have some good players down there but it was, it's interesting they didn't continue with the thought that the um the drafts are not the problem and so then why didn't these guys perform better you may ask well maybe it's the the coaching or the managing on the minor leagues maybe it's the organizational philosophy and not developing these guys properly. Look at Rosario. And I think there's a lot of things you can blame on that. You can blame analytics. You can blame this whole philosophy of power hitting, power pitching, strikeouts don't matter if you're a hitter. And so the game of baseball isn't being taught to these guys in the minor leagues. They're not taught how to, to bunt. They're not taught how to run the bases. They're not taught how to slide. They're not taught how to steal bases. All of the little minutia of the game is being not taught to these guys so they can develop. Why bother? They've got a designated hitter in there. 
Another cancer that's ruining the game. Worst thing that ever happened to the game of baseball was that stupid, and I mean stupid, designated hitter. We'd be best to do away with it on all levels. And I've said this before. If, if I was the owner of the Mets, the first thing I would do is instruct all of my minor leagues to make the pitcher hit. I don't care if there's a designated hitter in your league. The pitcher will hit. We will not use the designated hitter. And let them bunt. And let's play baseball the way it's supposed to be played. National League type baseball. And teach them how to feel the ball and then make a double play and get out of the way of a double play if you're the second baseman or the shortstop. How to avoid the sliding runner. I don't think they're teaching these things. So if the drafts are good, but the players aren't blossoming, part of it is the player's fault, but part of it's got to be development. And that's something that they have to look at. The Binghamton Rumble Ponies achieved a major attendance milestone this season. They welcomed a single-game record 7,488 fans to Niseg Stadium. That figure, set as the Rumble Ponies hosted the Trenton Thunder, surpassed the previous high of 7,412 that was reached in 2007. The Rumble Ponies have welcomed more than 6,000 fans to the ballpark six times this season and have had over 7,000 fans twice. Since May 23rd, the Rumble Ponies have welcomed 114,080 total fans to Nysake Stadium, an average of 4,225 fans per opening. Overall this season, an average number of 3,442 fans have filled the ballpark for each opening. At their present post-Memorial Day weekend rate, the Rumble Ponies are on pace to have the best per-game attendance since the franchise inaugural season in 1992. So uh, baseball's catching on again in Binghamton. Maybe they like the new name. Maybe that helped. Um, maybe the uh, Tim Tebow effect had uh, something to do with it. But they're drawing, and they're drawing rather well for a minor league team, and that's good on them. And congratulations to the management team. It's hard work when you're a minor league team. It really is. Very difficult. You got to come up with all kinds of bizarre things to get people into the stands. And it's just, it's really a tough job. But they do a very good job there. And, and a lot of the Mets Forum Systems, Brooklyn does an excellent job as well. Getting people uh, in the seats there. So they, they have been on, I think, every year since they've been in existence, they've been number one in the standings in the New York Penn League. So uh, that tells you something right there. All right. That's going to wrap it up for this week's show. Um, got a couple with Atlanta. Cincinnati comes into town. And then they hit the road next week, but we'll be back before then to talk about that. So 
Until next time, hey, it's tough, but let's try to keep the faith, stay optimistic, and let's go Mets.